one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome in, pull up a chair, spend the next hour with us. This is the Beyond the Game program. The website is btgprogram.com, and on social media, it's at btgprogram. I'm Rick Benson, along with Zach Barletta, recording from very snowy Rochester, New York, on the heels of just (laughs) getting just shy of two feet or over two feet in some areas. So this morning was the first morning out. Zach, since it's been snowing for two or three days, I got to tell you what frosts my fanny. You know what frosts my fanny? You watch your language. Did that totally frost your fanny? Get off my lawn. Man, that'll frost your fanny. If your life had a face, I would punch it. That really frosts my fanny. Easy, compadre. Did I just frost your fanny? As a matter of fact, you did. Listen, unless you're elderly, perhaps a pregnant woman, or you have some medical ailment, before you get in your car and go down the road, get your lazy butt out in the snow and clean off your vehicle. Oh, yes. Thank you. People take off for wherever they're heading. They're, they, they've got to get in such a rush. They don't bother to brush off their cars, and then they blind everyone behind them with the drift off their vehicles. And what's worse, they'll leave it there for days or, or sometimes maybe just hours is all it takes, but it eventually hardens and it gets icy and then comes flying off in sheets and large chunks. I, I mean, it, it's dangerous. Look, I know because I saw it this morning. Like I said, it's been snowing for a couple of days. I'm heading out for the gym this morning, and no less than three or four cars just got tons of snow coming off them. Take the six donut that you can't live without. Take it to go and give a few extra minutes of attention to just clean off your car properly. Yes, please, please. We have much to do, so Zach, let's take an early break. We'll come back. We'll get right into the show. Coming up later today on the program. The Golden State Warriors are struggling since losing Kevin Durant to an injury. The head coach, Steve Kerr, isn't too concerned about it. Says that he even thinks the adversity the Warriors are facing could be a good thing. We'll discuss that a little later this hour. And one of the most disturbing athlete signings I have ever heard of. Zach's going to blow our mind with his list of shenanigans statements <laughs> for this week. And we'll tell you what it is that we like this week. That's all coming up a bit later on. This is the Beyond the Game program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. 
Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Is here, Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television. That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee Wee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. You found the Beyond the Game program. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta, recording from Rochester, New York. You can find us on the web, btgprogram.com, or on social media, at btgprogram. The Golden State Warriors, who at the beginning of the season were the super team, the team nobody was going to be able to beat after they added Kevin Durant in the offseason. Well, they've been in a bit of a funk lately after losing their superstar player to an injury. They've been floating around, I think, 500 the last 10, 12 games or so, and they needed a great performance. I mean a great performance by Draymond Green to barely defeat the lowly Philadelphia 76ers earlier this week. They find themselves in a battle now at the top of the conference standings with the San Antonio Spurs, a team who was already a threat to the Warriors' Western Conference title hopes even before Durant got hurt. They lost to the Spurs last Saturday night, but Nobody's really using that as much of a gauge for how the Warriors will match up against the Spurs since the, the Warriors chose to sit most of their stars against San Antonio. I, I mean, they had guys from the front office and the locker room maintenance staff trying to, you know, <laughs> be playing that game. Which, I, man, I think this is something the league needs to do something about. I still maintain this, this is not good. And if you're a fan and you drop big money to see star players – you're going to be a little disappointed. But you, even if you don't see those stars, you want a decent game. You don't want to be seeing the last guy on the bench. I tell you, if you drop big money and that happens to you, those people that were in San Antonio, you would think twice about spending that money again. You just don't want to see the last guy on the bench. You want to see the stars. But I don't know what the league can do about it, although I thought it was interesting that after he sat his best players, a day or two later, Warriors head coach Steve Kerr suggested a solution that, you know, I thought it made some sense. Now, obviously, players need to be rested, of course. And there's some gamesmanship, and when you choose to rest those players, you don't want to give an opponent some firsthand information. You don't want to give them a test run, if you will, on how to handle you, a team that you know you're probably going to face at some point in the playoffs. The problem seems to be the scheduling. And the Warriors had been to five cities in eight days, and all of them were on the East Coast, before coming home for one game against the Boston Celtics, then going back out on the road for back-to-back games against Minnesota and San Antonio. No wonder they sat their players. Now, Kerr is suggesting that the schedule makers do a better job because he, he didn't think they needed to come home for that one game against the Celtics. He said better communication and scheduling national broadcast games, which this was, will help. That game against Boston was 
put there on the schedule. It sort of slid in there because national national TV games are only played on certain days of the week. They're very specific with where they put them, depending on which television network is carrying it. Kerr says this. He says, the next step in my mind is for the league to get together with the broadcast partners and say, okay, here's the ten, here's the games we want on national TV. Let's really examine the previous 10 days and try to make it so those things are eliminated. Now, I know there's only a few really, truly marketable teams. You know who they are because they're the only ones you see on the national broadcasts. If it's on TV and you're not watching the local regional feed, you know, your local team, then you're either going to get the Warriors, the Spurs, the Cavs, maybe the Celtics, the Thunder. There might be even a second tier, which would include the Bulls, the Mavericks. But these are your truly marketable teams, and I get it. People want to see LeBron James. They want to see the Cavaliers. They want to see Steph Curry. And I actually don't think everybody wants to see LeBron. A lot of people are kind of getting LeBron burnout right now, don't you think? I mean, you see him on every magazine, on every sports channel. We're kind of in LeBron overload. Well, maybe you're right. Now, I have no statistical data to back this up. This is just the sense I get. But the point is simply this. Work in a few other teams. I mean, do I need to see the Cavs? multiple days a week. Yeah, maybe if Cavs fans are saying, of course they do. How about giving these teams a break along the lines of what Kerr was saying? Adding a few other teams that you hardly ever see. But maybe when you do that, do a better job. Do a more thorough job of bouncing around the league and maybe giving us some updates and some live look-ins so that even though I'm watching Sun Sixers, I'm still getting LeBron. I'm still getting the Spurs. I'm getting enough of all the other guys through live look-ins and through through updates, even though I'm not watching that particular game. But Steve Kerr said something else after Monday's practice that I thought was interesting. He was asked about the recent struggles the team's been going through, and he said that he actually thinks that it's good for the team. Now I don't want to get carried away. They're they're making a they're they're facing a tough go of it here without Durant as of late. But this is still a very good team, and they're in position to end up the top seed in the West and and are certainly a threat to win an NBA title again. Here's Kerr on the adversity that his team is facing. I mean, it's going to sound crazy. I kind of like, I actually kind of like that. I think um, we need some adversity. Um, We obviously have some, probably for the first time in two and a half years in terms of the regular season. I think adversity can help. As I said, it forces you to, to kind of examine what you're doing, clean some things up, and get right. And uh, I think this is going to be good for us in the long run because we're, we're going to tighten up a lot of things. I thought last year we just kept winning through a lot of the slippage late in the season. And uh, it helped us hang that tiny little banner on the wall over there. We didn't hang the big one over there, and uh, we like the big one better. So I think mean, I think this could be, uh, in a weird way, it could be helpful down the stretch. Now, no doubt, if he had to choose, he would certainly rather have Durant in the lineup. He would probably prefer to be cruising through the season towards the top seed in the West. At the very least, the struggles, the struggles let a coach do what a coach does, and that's coach. What I mean is when a team's taking chances. They're not really playing fundamentally sound. They're making poor shot decisions. They're uh, making poor passes. 
if those shots are going in and those passes are being completed, it's tough for a coach to say anything. What are you going to say? But when things aren't going well, he can point to those problem areas and, and sort of coach them up. Teams that juggernaut their way through the regular season, they're not always the ones who are lifting the trophy at the conclusion of the season. Many times they are, but certainly not always. The team that's playing well as the postseason begins, one which has used the regular season to fine-tune itself going into the postseason, they're the ones that generally have the most success. That certainly could be those juggernaut teams, but it's it's not a lock to be. A team which is battle-tested is often best prepared going into the playoffs for whatever is going to come its way. That's why so many teams, they, they want key veteran guys to be part of their lineup, to be in their locker room. They don't want just a, a bunch of rookies. You need those guys, those battle-tested guys, to have some success. That's why a, guy, a coach like Tom Izzo, he opts to play such a tough early season schedule there at Michigan State because it prepares them come tournament time. His teams are usually very well prepared. Yeah, I think we've talked about it on the show before that sometimes you see a team that locks up their playoff spot early and they kind of can coast into the playoff and rest their stars that sometimes they have a hard time getting going when the games really count. And so maybe if they don't have to cruise in, maybe if they have to battle a little bit, maybe you're right. Maybe it helps them when crunch time rolls around. But I do get, I get what Steve Kerr is saying. His team may benefit from having to go through this, this more difficult season, this tougher season than last year. I think it's something to keep in mind when we go through difficult times. It's easy to say the sun will come up tomorrow or, you know, tell somebody to keep a stiff upper lip. But when you're in the midst of a struggle, man, it's easy to forget that the tough times can actually be good for us. And for some, those difficult times, they can seem hopeless. There's no hope at the end. That's why it's important to remember how much God loves us. Never, never lose sight of that. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Don't lose sight of the fact that God loves you, that he's there. We can speak to him at any time. If God allows us to go through pain, it's because he has something good he wants to accomplish in us. Adversity, hardships, these things are a tool. They're designed to help us, not hurt us. God wants to grow godly character within us. There's a great passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about a hardship in his life, and we don't know exactly what that hardship is, but Paul dealt with some stuff in his life. Just a chapter earlier, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he describes some of what he went through during his time serving the Lord. Things like imprisonment, beatings, shipwreck, hunger, thirst, other things. Whatever you're dealing with in your life, look, I get it. It's significant. If it's knocked you off your game, it's significant. And and Paul can relate. He had problems too. Yet he wrote the book of Philippians, though. While in prison, I might add, the book of Philippians, a, a book filled with joy. Despite his problems, despite being in prison, he wrote those words. He had problems for sure, but he understood that at the end of the day, God's plans are for our own benefit. And again, while we don't know the specifics of what this particular hardship was he's referring to in chapter 12, 
We do know that God, that he asked God three times to take it away, but God declined. Paul came to learn from it, to embrace it, really. He said it kept him from getting prideful. And could that have been a problem for the Warriors last season? When it it just seemed like they were on cruise control, maybe they got prideful. Maybe that's why they ended up with the little banner, as Steve Kerr talked about, instead of the big one. Paul also said that not only did it help him from getting prideful, but it taught him to depend on Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 12, I'm just going to read verses 7 to 10. It says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When things seem dark, it's crucial. I I mean, I believe it's crucial to remember that God is always with us. Sure, at times we may not feel his presence, but that's a promise. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And God made that promise to Joshua after Moses died. You may imagine Joshua feeling a little bit intimidated about leading the people, you know, the many enemies and uncertainties that lie in front of them. But God said in Joshua 1.5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. You have that same assurance. If you're a believer, you have the very Spirit of God living within you, leading you, guiding you. Trials, difficulties, hardships, these are tools in God's hands to correct us, to perhaps turn us around and, and, and bring us onto his path. I retweeted this this statement this week. And forgive me, I, I've actually forgotten who the original tweet was, was sent out by. But if you're really curious, you can go back through my feed. It was only a couple days ago. But the tweet was this. Be careful of being so far into your problem that you become far away from God. Draw close to him and he'll draw close to you. That's a great reminder. The great part of that passage in 2 Corinthians was that when Paul came to understand that his hardship, his thorn, was there to help him by keeping him humble and keeping him dependent on Jesus, he was able to make this powerful statement in verse 9, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He became, in his own words, content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. And then said maybe one of the most repeated phrases in all the Bible to remind us of God's provisions during difficult times. He said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's okay to have questions, to wonder why God may may have allowed this thing to happen. But don't ever doubt that he loves you and that he's there for you. John 3.16 talks about his love being so great that he gave his only son. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Look, even Jesus, Jesus himself, when he bore our sins on the cross, he had questions. He endured for us the penalty of our sins and felt the pain of being separated from God the Father. And he asked in Matthew 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? While we may be confused, God's able to see the other side of the storm. He knows the good which will come by going through it. The Bible reminds us of his love. It reminds us about why we deal with difficult times. Its words encourage us to to endure, to get through it by relying on his strength. If we allow it to, it comforts us. It comforts us in difficult times and even strengthens us at the same time. As we go to break, I'm reminded of a story by Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, talks about a woman she met on one of her African missions trips. And Johnny asked the woman what her favorite Bible passage was. And the woman said, and it came to pass. Thinking it odd, Johnny inquired a little bit more, wondered why. And the woman explained that life is not easy, but we trust in God and he make it come to pass. This too shall pass. Whatever it is you're going through, it will pass. There is nothing that is so trying that we cannot trust God to see us through it. Whatever you're going through, keep holding on. Keep going. You can get through it. This too will pass. God has your hand. And you know there's a difference. When a child holds your hand, they have the choice to let go at any time. But when you need extra security, you take that child's hand. And when you hold the child's hand, it's up to you when to let go. God has your hand. He's not letting go. If you want extra prayer with whatever it is you're going through, you can reach out to us through our website. You can reach out to us through Facebook, through Twitter. You can even leave us an anonymous message on our studio line. 585-431-1202. That's 585-431-1202. You don't even have to leave your name. Just ask us for prayer. We'd be glad to pray for you. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Well, as it did for many, the weather had an impact on Roberts Wesleyan College athletics this past week. Here's the Red Hawks report for the week, March 18th, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. The women's basketball team set out to defend their NCCAA National Championship and swept through the first round last weekend at home, defeating Indiana Wesleyan University on Friday 75-67 and then following that up with a 68-61 win over Ohio Christian University on Saturday to send the Red Hawks into the second round. The team then hit the road and on Wednesday they throttled Arkansas's Crowley's Bridge 108-63, catapulting the top-seeded Red Hawks into Thursday's game against number 4 Greenville College. Freshman Emily Miller scored a team-high 19 points and also grabbed 10 rebounds. Meanwhile, senior Kinsey Brandt scored 18 points off the bench, and freshman Taya Andrews and Sarah Nady added 16 and 14, respectively. And congratulations to junior Lucy Kovlin. She entered the game just one three-pointer shy of the East Coast Conference record for most threes in a season. Kovlin hit three in the game to set a new mark of 100 with more games left to play. 
Unfortunately, this program was recorded prior to Thursday's match against Greenville, so we don't have the results for you, or the women's lacrosse match against Nyack College for that matter, but you can visit the website, athletics.roberts.edu, to get all the scores and reports of the games. In other action this past week, the men's tennis team defeated Bloomfield University 8-1 last Saturday, improving its mark to 11-4. The Red Hawks took two of the three doubles matches and swept through the singles. Also last weekend, despite getting six goals from senior Kasli Joukowsky and three from junior Joanna Price, the women's lacrosse team fell to Merrimack College 15-11. In the week ahead, it's only the men's lacrosse team which offers you a chance to catch the Red Hawks at home this week, but you don't have a lot of time as they'll be hosting New York Institute of Technology later today, March 18th at noon. If you can make it out, I'm sure they'd welcome your support. That does it for the Red Hawks Report for this week, March 18th, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. And remember, you can always follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Red Hawks or visit their website, athletics.roberts.edu. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Benton and Barletta have taken you through the hour here on the Beyond the Game program. Mixing sports with faith. The program's available on podcast, is downloaded all across the nation and even around the world. We want to say thank you to Weyburn, Saskatchewan for tuning in. I know that's in Canada, but I, I have no idea where Saskatchewan is. Weyburn, Saskatchewan, the birthplace of New York Giants offensive lineman Brett Jones. You too can listen to previous broadcasts or even subscribe to the show right there at our website, btgprogram.com. Zach, we live in a country that is filled millions and millions of sports fans. Obviously, not everybody is a sports fan, uh, but sold-out stadiums, sold-out arenas, as well as a huge amount of money spent on sports memorabilia annually would be evidence of just how large a part of sports plays in our society. And to that, the millions of adults and youth who play sports recreational but sports is not sports is not immune to troubling stories and situations you might think of Josh Brown's domestic violence situation last year but these these are same types of things which affect corporations throughout the world politics on global national local levels as well as private companies that you and I are familiar with right in our own towns wherever they may be of course, I'm, I'm bothered, I am, by teams that overlook hyenas crimes. To go after a few extra victories, they sign a player who commits such crimes. It's disgusting, but it happens in many, many facets of life. It's not a symptom of sport. It's a symptom of a sinful human heart. Greed is valued above compassion, decency, even human life. I was particularly repulsed by Cowboys fans this week who 
defended their favorite team's running back, Ezekiel Elliott, after he yanked down a woman's shirt exposing her breast to a St. Patrick's Day crowd. While some may want to laugh and you know say it was all in fun or it's just hardcore partying, it's never, never okay to do that. That's basically a sexual assault, right? I, mean, I think so. I don't care that, according to a source at TMZ, Elliot says that the woman wasn't mad. She even continued to hang out with him and his friends afterwards. I don't care. The she was cool with it, she played a long explanation to me, is, well, you know, it's alarmingly similar to what we hear athletes say, things along those lines after other sexual violence situations. Nor do I care if the woman flashed the crowd herself on her own accord a little while later. It's foolish, it's indecent, but but that's her choice. It's not up to him to do that. The amazing thing is, this guy is still under investigation by the NFL for domestic violence charges, charges that were dropped by Columbus, Ohio authorities due to conflicting, inconsistent information. The original charges were that Elliot had abused a woman on five occasions over a period of several days in 2016. Regardless of what happened then, whether he did, whether he didn't, what happened the other day was inexcusable. And knowing that it happened, you think this guy would have had enough sense to watch his step. The guy can run a football. He could barrel over defenders. So his foolish and poor decision-making, I, I guess that doesn't matter. He can run a football. Cowboy fans on social media and in the comment section of online articles. Now, Cowboy fans are, are a special breed. Uh, yeah, I think we've had that discussion before. Yeah. But their comments about the incident, they should be ashamed of themselves. I mean, some of the things, just dismissing his actions because he's a good football player, that's disgusting. But then there's the matter of Bruno Fernandez, which, wow, that really makes you scratch your head. Zach, you shared on your Facebook page this account of the goalkeeper who was signed recently by Brazilian club Boa Esporte. Forgive me if I've mispronounced that. They're a second division team. They're about 250 miles from Rio de Janeiro, where Bruno had been a star, though that was prior to being convicted of murdering his girlfriend in 2010. Now, let me be clear. Fernandez, who was known only by his first name, Bruno, he was not just accused. He was convicted and sentenced to 22 years in prison, where he served less than one-third of that, a little over seven years from what I understand. He was given an early release due to a petition under habeas corpus, which is unlawful imprisonment. His lawyers claiming that Brazil's courts took too long to rule on his appeal and left him in prison for years without a decision on that appeal. Bruno's 17-year-old cousin admitted to abducting the young woman and her child and took them to speak with Bruno about paternity claims because she had threatened legal action against him if he didn't pay child support. Prior, Bruno had reportedly demanded that she have an abortion and even forced her at gunpoint to take an illegal abortion drug concoction of some sort. Despite denying it, DNA tests showed that he is indeed the father. Though she was reported missing, the cousin told police that she wasn't really missing, that indeed she was dead. She was held hostage for six days, according to reports, before being strangled. Her child was then found with Bruno's wife after her disappearance. 
Seven others were also charged with carrying out Bruno's orders to murder this woman, his wife, an ex-lover, and even an ex-police officer. During the trial, Bruno is said to have cried in court and told the jury that although he didn't order the killing, he merely accepted it. This is your new goalkeeper for Boa Esporte. A guy who, though he was, he had previously told authorities that he was unaware what happened to her, then admitted that she was tortured, murdered, dismembered, and parts of her body fed to dogs and other parts buried in concrete. The team gave him a two-year contract after he said, and he said after signing that contract that he should not be judged on his past. Uh, well, maybe if you had your wife killed, I think we can judge you on that. Hey, Zach, I can't imagine how the victim's relatives must feel after hearing that he signed a contract. Some of the team's sponsors, including its main sponsor, they've revoked their sponsorship, so I guess there's still some semblance of common sense somewhere to be found. However, the team says it has a new sponsor and that they'll announce that in the near future. Bruno said, people run from me because of what happened in the past. Gee, you think? Uh, yeah, you're a murderer. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. I hope I hope nobody buys tickets to those games. I hope they have no choice but to eat that contract and get rid of him because that's absolutely ridiculous. When asked about his signing resulting in the loss of their team's main sponsor, he said, I have nothing to do with that topic. I am just here to play football. When God opens doors, no man should close them. This is best left in the hands of those who are capable of working on it. The team's hands are clean, though, I guess. They released a statement about giving this dirtbag a contract, saying that he deserves a new opportunity as a professional, as well as issuing this disclaimer as part of that statement that the club has no link to personal actions by Bruno or his past. Just disgusting. The mayor-elect of the city in which the club plays in, a city which also covers the team utility bills, pays for accommodations for players, provides health professionals on game day, and even pays for transport for fans to get to those games. The mayor-elect said he was, of course, against the signing, but he's not going to end their relationship with the team over it. I, I got to tell you, this woman's blood is on every dollar this player helps bring in. Now, I believe in second chances, but that does not necessarily mean full restoration to a person's original position. If a person shows remorse, if they show regret, which I'm just reading the comments in the press, so I don't really get any sense of remorse or regret on Bruno's part. But again, I'm just reading comments out of the press. But if there were, then as difficult as it is in situations like this one, an opportunity at a second chance is appropriate. My first choice is that that second chance is spent living out the rest of your days incarcerated and serving the full penalty, whatever justice will allow. But I suppose if that's not going to happen, my second choice would be that you go somewhere far away from the victim's family, live out your days, never heard from again. But I believe in second chances. But I can tell you this. If someone kills somebody else, dismembers them, feeds them to their Rottweilers, I am not giving them a two-year contract to play goalkeeper for my soccer team. But you want to know something? That's why I'd not be a, I wouldn't make a good guy. I wouldn't do a good job at it. 
I can't begin to understand the depth of his love, the extent of his grace and mercy. Because while he may not give a two-year contract to play soccer, he would forgive that person. God forgives like I never could. He's able to forgive and never bring it up again. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I don't fully understand it, but I believe it. I'm grateful for it. God gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah, who ran away from God, actually sort of wanted God's judgment to come upon the people of Nineveh. God gave Paul another chance, a man who was once known as Saul and persecuted Christians, even having them put to death. Yet when he met God on the roads of Damascus, God did amazing things through Paul's life after that. How do you you forgive like that? But that's my God. People everywhere are hurting. They carry the guilt, the burden of their past. They have regrets. They, you know, a second chance is sometimes all they want. There's a passage in Luke chapter 13 that's a parable, which Jesus tells about the many chances God gives. God's mercy, God's grace are available to all who would come to Christ. But eventually time does run out. You have a chance to receive forgiveness for your sins, but you have to use that second chance wisely. Jesus spoke of two disasters in that first five verses of chapter 13 of the book of Luke. He pointed out that the victims were no more sinners than those people he was talking to. That was a that was a common thought at the time that people suffered in accordance to their sins. But the Bible says we're all sinners. Therefore, everybody's in danger of judgment unless they repent. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus told a story about a fig tree in Luke 13 that failed to produce fruit. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Verse 8, And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Jesus' point was that God is patient too. He gives second chances for people to seek forgiveness. Although many, many will never accept it. When it comes to repentance, for many people, until they have done something they think is truly wrong, truly dirty, truly foul, truly offensive, we don't see the need for repentance. Far too many are deceived into thinking that repentance is for people who are guilty of murder, people who steal, people who cheat on their wives, or some sort of sexual exploitation. But we all need to repent of our sins because we're all sinners. The owner of the fig tree was patient. I mean, for crying out loud, he came back for three consecutive years. The gardener gave the tree some extra attention and one last effort to get it to produce some fruit. And God is patient. And you kind of got to wonder, when is that last-ditch effort that God gives us? to get us to produce fruit. I love this simple analogy. 
that of an apple tree in your yard. If your apple tree isn't giving you apples, there's there's probably two things. There's two things that it could be. One is it's unhealthy. It needs some extra attention. It needs some fertilizer. The other is that it's not an apple tree at all. Bringing it a little closer to home, how about you? Now, God doesn't write any of us off. He gives us second chances. Have you ever sought forgiveness from God for your sins? Do you see fruit in your life, fruit being evidence that you're a Christian, a believer in Christ? If not, you either need some extra attention, some discipleship, some mentoring, some good Bible study, some good Bible teaching, or perhaps you're not really a Christian at all. You've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There is a consequence. There's a consequence to not for choosing to not seek God's forgiveness, and the Bible calls it hell. God gave us all a choice. People can accept his plan of salvation, which is repenting and seeking forgiveness, or they can try to get to heaven on their own. Now, let me tell you, repentance is easier. And in fact, it's really the only way, because we cannot reconcile the debt of our sin while still wallowing under the weight of those sins. People need Jesus. I asked earlier when talking about how God forgave Paul on that road to Damascus, how do you forgive like that? But that's God. He doesn't care what you did. What he cares about is that you turn to him. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, he's not waiting for you to become good. He's already taken care of it when Jesus bore our sins on the cross, and he did it while we were wallowing in our sins. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died forgive for us. Forgiveness is found at the cross in Jesus Christ. He took our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Maybe you remember the great old hymn, Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? As a result of Christ's death on the cross, forgiveness of sins is available to all who would simply ask. You have a second chance. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to be saved from your sins, Ask God to forgive you. Pray to God. Tell him you know you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Jesus died on that cross for you. Admit your guilt. Seek his forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. But then turn away from them. Leave them in the past. Start a new journey seeking after righteousness and desiring to draw closer to God. John 3.16 talks of God's love. He says, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That was Jesus Christ. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program.
If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances, and 96 student athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Benson and Barletta on Beyond the Game. Let me go ahead and turn it right over to you, Zach. Let's get into some of your shenanigans statements for this week. All right. Number one, LeVar Ball is potentially damaging his kids' chances at pro careers with his comments to the media. I say shenanigans. You know, he's not hurting their chances to go pro. These these kids are going to go pro. But this is something that's it's this is difficult because this guy is so boorish that it's it's difficult to deal with. And it's something that any team that wants to draft this kids, they're going to have to deal with this. They're going to have to be prepared. He's not going away. He's going to be involved. Uh, I read, though, where one NBA scout, he actually thought that it could be a slight help. He explained that if these kids are able to excel despite the added scrutiny that comes with their dad's comments, then it shows that they can handle pressure. Now, I don't know. I think the guy's a turnoff, but at the end of the day, the kids can play, you know, so they're going Mm -hmm. to go pro. Dad seems a bit of a buffoon, but... I guess he's not really hurting his kids' chances. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I say shenanigans that he's hurting their chances at having a pro careers, having pro careers. But, I mean, the guy is just like his back and forth with Charles Barkley made Charles Barkley look sane and eloquent in comparison, <laughs> which is really tough to do, you know. And it's just this age that we're in of all you have to do is be an idiot to establish yourself as a celebrity and, and be in the public eye. And he's certainly done that. And I have to think if, if I was considering drafting one of those, one of his sons, I would think long and hard about whether I wanted my organization to be potentially drugged through the mud by this guy. If he potentially thinks that you're not treating his son fairly, is he go to the meet to go to the media and complain about what you're saying or what you're doing with his kids? So I would have to think long and hard about whether I wanted to bring that headache onto my payroll. But we were talking about Ezekiel Elliott earlier mm-hmm. and some of the baggage that he's carrying. At the end of the day, teams don't care if he can run over defenders, if he can carry the football, if he can shoot the three-pointer, if he can score points. They're going to take the extra baggage because they want the player. Number two, the number one ranked U.S. women's hockey team should play in the upcoming world championships regardless of whether they feel they have been treated fairly. I tell you, I want to see them there, but I, I say shenanigans. These these women are being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Uh, researching this a little bit, I, it's amazing to me how much so. They have trained for this moment. Skipping it's not what they would prefer to do, no doubt about it. They want to play, 
but it's really the only leverage they have is to skip it. They're only asking for a living wage that covers the entire four-year period between Olympics, not just the six months before the games themselves. What makes it so shameful is that USA Hockey is saying that the women will get $85,000. But from what I understand is that that is during the Olympic year, and it includes money from other sources. And, And add to that such claims, and I don't know if they're true or not, at times they've played with their own college equipment. Meanwhile, the under-18 boys are being rolled out with brand new gear. Not the men's, not the men's Olympic team, the U18 boys. They also say they get inferior and even dodgy accommodations. They, They wait years to get championship rings while the U18 boys get them significantly faster. Meanwhile, USA Hockey pays part of its staff anywhere from a quarter to half a million dollars. The Federation has treated these women as second class, and it's evidenced by the fact that the the women, they're even asking to play more than nine lousy games a year in non-Olympic years. The fact that they've dealt with all they've dealt with and still won six or seven or eight world titles since Mm -hmm. 1998 or whatever it was, they just want to be treated fairly. They want to be treated with respect. I don't think it's ever going to happen if they don't use the leverage they have. So I'm disappointed in that, but I don't see that they have any other option. I agree with you, unfortunately, and I have to call shenanigans on the statement. But I mean, like you said, some of the stuff that these women have gone through has been completely ridiculous. And um, I think back to just last season um, in the Women's National Hockey League here in the States, that uh, a woman, a player, was paralyzed in a collision during a game, just a random freak thing that happened. And you think about these because women. Because of the ice condition? Well, I don't remember what it, what it was that because caused it. I remember it. that being a complaint. But I, I was just thinking, like, you know, at any time, when you play a physical sport like this, something like that could happen. And if you're not even making a living wage, you've got to take care of these players. Oh, I see, I see what you're saying. I'm tracking you now. And I just, I, it's shameful, and I hope that they're embarrassed about what they're doing. I hope they get to play because mm-hmm. this is what they've trained for. This is what they've wanted to do, to have that, to have no other choice but to not play. That's disturbing. Number three, the chances of Kirk Cousins being the Washington Redskins week one quarterback are better than 75%. I'll let you go first on this one. What do you think? I agree. I think they're basically 100%. Um, He's been franchised again. I don't think he can be franchised again next season. So, And and we know by the statements that have been made, he's not going to resign in Washington. So he's going to be available for nothing but money after this season. The team that supposedly wants him the most is the 49ers. They're not going anywhere this year. So why not wait out one more season and get him for nothing but money in the offseason? Why would you trade anything for him? I agree, too, that his chances are better than 75%. And it's an interesting statement because so much has been in the press. Will they trade him? Will he mm-hmm. be in Washington? He did eventually sign the franchise tags. And reports are that he did indeed contact the team owner, Dan Snyder, but that he did not demand a trade. I, I just don't know what other options the Redskins really have, if not Cousins. Mm-hmm. And trading him for draft picks is many, pretty much throwing in the towel for this season. And mm-hmm. uh, they're a pretty good team. They have a shot with a quarterback absolutely, to get in the playoffs and make some noise. And if they're not going to go with Cousins, then I don't know what they do. Agreed. You know, it's a bummer because 
he's a good quarterback and he had some weapons there who have now left as free agents but they were a fun offense to watch and you hate to see it end the way that it looks like it's going to end yeah you do because he has been a terrific football player for them kind of a a surprise thing that they found they had started rg3 and yet here was kirk cousins this commodity the whole time and he's playing well and you know you gotta like that it is a shame, and it's very puzzling when so many teams are desperate to lock up a franchise quarterback, and here's this guy playing as well as he's playing, and they are bound and determined not to pay him. It's been it's been strange. They're nutty there. Number four, the New York Islanders and Tampa Bay Lightning are tied at 77 points apiece as of this writing, with the Toronto Maple Leafs one point behind them in the fight for the last wild card spot in the East. Truth or shenanigans, the Islanders will hang on to that final playoff spot. What do you think? I have to say shenanigans. I, I, well, I was looking through the standings. One of the things that jumped out at me was the goal differential. The Islanders are at minus five. The Lightning are at plus four. And the Toronto Maple Leafs are at exactly zero. They're at dead even. Just looking at goal differential and basically the talent on the roster, I think the Lightning are the best of those three teams. So it's hard for me to see the, the Lightning not stealing that spot from them. I wanted you to go first because I wanted to hear you say that the Islanders, I wanted you to agree with the statement. As an Islander fan, I wanted you to say that they are going to make it. And I know you know a lot about hockey because I see shenanigans. You know, again, as a fan, I'd like to see that. But the Lightning are playing real well of late. And they've got significantly more talent, as you say. They were a consensus pick, after all. Let's not forget that the Lightning were at the beginning of the season to win the Cup. But then Steven Stamkos got hurt. This is a tough spot for me. There are only two playoff spots for the three teams that I like the most, the Rangers, the the Islanders, and the Lightning. And the Rangers are pretty much a lock at this point. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I said the same thing a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Maple Leafs' chances, and I'm going to stick with it. I I think the Lightning are too good. And I think what you saw the other night, the Islanders in Carolina, they got lit up. I tweeted out that they were going to be pulling people out of the stands because they had (laughs) nobody that could stop a puck. It was... It was ugly to watch. Carolina also is a lot better than people realize, I think, too. But but your but defenseman, Slavin, is, uh, Jacob Slavin, mm-hmm. had a hat trick. He's a defenseman. Come on. You don't see that a lot. <laughs> well, you talked about goal differential. Well, there, there, There's a, a great example. You're giving up hat tricks to defensemen. That's not great for your goal differential. That's for sure. Last but not least, while we're talking about hockey, the NHL is wrong to keep its players out of the 2018 Olympics. I agree. I think they are wrong. I get it. You don't want a disruption of the season. You don't want to risk an injury. And uh, while it may not have the same passion here in the United States, because we're so immersed in top-level sports, and we consider professional leagues the end-all, be-all, for other countries, players relish a chance to play for their flag. You see that now with the World Baseball Classic. In other places, they come here to play professionally, but it's not home. There's so much pride. There's so much passion to uh, compete representing your home. I think they should have the option to make that decision for themselves. I mean, adjust their pay. Do whatever you think you need to do, but let them play. I actually disagree with you. Um, Well, you're wrong. I say shenanigans this day, but I, (laughs) I don't necessarily think that they're wrong because one of the things that I have been reading is that they're concerned about 
player security at the Olympics. They're concerned about way the, how the players are going to be taken care of. And if that's the case, if that's not just an excuse that they're making up, then that's legitimate. That's something that I think you want to make sure your players are going to be safe and that they're going to be well taken care of while they're there. They want but don't you think the player would want that for themselves? And don't you think they'll investigate that enough and, and put that onus on their country to protect them? I think so. And again, that's why I'm saying that, you know, if that's actually the case, if that's not just a convenient thing that they're saying. But, yeah. you know, I, I would, as a fan of a lot of those players, I wouldn't want to see my team star players go to the Olympics and not be provided security, maybe have not have correct transportation. So I want them to go, but I also want them to be safe. So I'm going to, I'm going to call shenanigans on the statement. What's the worst that's going to happen? I mean, they're going to jack up a convenience store with a bunch of Olympic swimmers or something? <laughs> That's exactly where I was going to go, too. <laughs> They're going to kick in the door at a restroom. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Most people know that I think fighting in hockey is unnecessary. I'm all for hard-hitting competition, and I know that on occasion tempers are going to flare, but intentional fighting as part of the game is not hockey, in my opinion. So a trending video this week of San Jose Sharks defenseman Brendan Dillon and Nashville Predators forward Austin Watson caught my attention. These two big guys, I think both are six and a half feet, got into it during a game in San Jose last weekend. But it was really more holding and less punching. Because Dillon was actually mic'd up for the game, we were privy to some of the conversation during and after the exchange. Such things were said as, at a boy and good job. <laughs> These things are heard as they made their way to the penalty box where the friendly banter continued. And while in their respective penalty boxes, Dylan and Watson discussed how tired they were, the need for more cardio training, and they even made plans to work out together in the off season. As they finished, they even wished one another good luck the rest of the way. Fighting in hockey is stupid and it's unnecessary, but if it has to happen, I'd much rather it go down like this one did. Brandon Dillon and Austin Watson giving us their good sportsman style of hockey fighting is what I like this week. You like that? You like that? Today I turned on a, a baseball game, a spring training game between the Brewers and the Diamondbacks, and I was surprised to see Jabba Chamberlain come in the game and pitch for the Brewers, and that's actually what I like this week because... He looks like he has lost a ton of weight. He's in better shape than I've seen him in years. Good for him. I didn't even know he was still around. I didn't think he was. And uh, I remembered him as this big, heavy guy pitching for the Tigers and I think the Royals. And he just looked like he didn't care. He was so overweight. But it looks like he's in great shape. He looks like he's committed. And he gave up a home run. But other than that, he, you know, he sent the next three guys down in order. He looked pretty good. So it's nice to see somebody with all the talent that he had after some struggles, recommit and make it back. So seeing Jabba Chamberlain back in the game of baseball is what I liked this week. You like that? You like that? That's a show for this week. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Beyond the Game program. As we close out the show, let me tell you that my man Zach has a new podcast he's doing with his brother. If you enjoy myths, curious stories, unsolved mysteries, check out the Myths and Mystery podcast available on iTunes and Google Play or visit their website, missandmysteriespod.com. I'm away next week, but you'll be in good hands as Zach will bring you his 2017 baseball preview and predictions. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, right here at this same time. Be bold, 
and be great this week, everybody.